This is episode 327 of the I Read Comic Books podcast. With me this week are two wonderful ladies I love to talk comics with, Kate Scotchless. Hello. And Tia Vasiliu. Hello. And who are you, dear podcast? I'm Kate Lampier. Thank you for asking. (laughs) (laughs) Some days I can remember my own name, but it's not today. God, is that you? (laughs) Our benevolent overlord, Mike Raffin, is moving this weekend into his shiny new home in New Jersey. So we are here. It's very uh, exciting, but he's not available. So Dad's here I am. Not home. He's just let us know that dinner. he's eating it's chicken fine. wings. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I can do this right, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I've been told that I have to ask two questions, and those are, how are you and how have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate Scotchless. Um, I have been good. I have really enjoyed stepping in for Mike this week because it gave me the perfect excuse to have like a completely perfect lazy Saturday reading comics for like four hours, like a slug on my porch in our finely beautiful spring weather that we just got. It's been like 30, 40 degrees here in Michigan. Um, so that was chef kiss. Wonderful. Um, other than what I read specifically for this episode, so we'll talk about in the second half, I have been reading the Babysitter's Club graphic novels still. My library just got numbers 10 and 11 in, so I read um, number 10, Christy and the Snobs. Uh, if you're an 80s, 90s girl, you'll remember these books uh, by Anne M. Martin. So at this point, we've had a lot of different creators working on the Babysitter's Club graphic novels. And this one is now um, done by Chan Chow, both the script adaptation and the art. And she's not Raina Talgemeier. Well, it would have been uh, my dream come true to have Raina Talgemeier keep doing the whole series. I get why she didn't and couldn't and how she's an incredibly hard act to follow. Um, so all, all things considered, I have liked this a lot. And this is the book, uh, if you guys remember, where Christy gets bullied when she moves into her Tony new neighborhood after her mom remarries and she moves into like her stepdad's mansion, right? So these rich girls start picking on her in their new neighborhood because she's not all preppy and all that. And worst of all, to her horror, they make fun of her dog, Louie, who is old and sick. Can you imagine? Ugh, right to girls. jail. So, yeah, exactly. Fuck them kids. Uh, so <laughs> this is like the thing about uh, the Babysitter's Club and middle grade OGNs in general that keeps me coming back uh, year after year at this point in the pandemic is that when everything is bad and hard and unsolvable in the world, as it seems, uh, you can rely on middle grade books to always have a nice solution through the power of friendship and love and understanding and uh, will the dog die? Probably not because it's a middle grade book. So it's very... It, it, they're I the have best bad like read before bed books for me right now while I'm stressed about like so many things in the world and in my own personal life and stuff they're just very wholesome and I love them okay but like spoiler alert I'm very I'm very sorry to tell you that the dog does in fact die oh, no. <laughs> I know <Tia. laughs> um, yeah yeah Louie's been in 10 books okay he can't keep going forever <laughs> He's very old and sick. He's very they old just, and sick they, indeed. Know. The thing, okay, so so much of this series now, because it is updated for like the modern age, right? Is it's like so much of the messages that I feel like um, we needed as children and maybe didn't get because our boomer parents weren't on the level of like, it's good to talk about feelings and like, it's okay to do, you know, be sad and different things like that. So, so much of it is like just like the, oh... You're right, author. This is okay. <laughs> I will feel my feelings. Isn't Alicia Silverstone the mom in the Netflix Babysitters Club show? I because I, I feel so. like that's they did such a good job with that wild. series. I loved yeah. it so much. Oh, I know. So good, so wholesome. I definitely binged both seasons when they came out. Me too. For the same reason, it's just like feel good in a time when so like so much is not and feels like 
big and like I usually am very into shows like Homeland and stuff that are like big like tense drama thrillers and stuff like that with like complex issues and nothing's truly resolvable and all that and then it's like no 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 life is like that now I don't need that right now that's got enough of that (laughs) I just binge watched 15 seasons of ER for exactly the reason that you just described Mm -hmm. I was like I want to watch something that is drama but also that is pre 9-11 I have never actually seen that that's one of those things perpetually on my like backlog of this is supposedly extremely good and I've never seen it and there's a lot of it if I ever like get the flu or something you know yeah, it it definitely I started in December, so it took me a while. It mm-hmm. it is really good. I I have to say it goes off the rails. This is the I Watch ER podcast. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> but yes, like on the topic of nostalgia and just kind of like this the um relative simplicity of the before times. I totally feel you. Yeah. Once Uncle Jesse joins the cast of ER it's and and 9-11 happens, then it's kind of, you just are sort of watching for the closure. That makes sense. I was very into Grey's Anatomy until I've not watched the last couple seasons because uh, it, it kind of did the off the rails thing and I lost interest. Comics are great. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, speaking of comics. Anyway, uh, what have you guys been reading? Well, do you go ahead? Yeah. So the last time I was on the show, which I don't know, maybe was a month ago now, I said I I was looking forward to reading a book about comics uh, called The Content of Our Caricature, African-American Comic Art and Political Belonging by Rebecca Wanzo. Uh, Dr. Wanzo um, was someone I got to work with when I was in grad school. I TA'd for her wonderful class on sex, gender, and pop culture. I learned everything from her. She is brilliant. And her book won the Eisner Award in 2021 for um, you know, scholarly work in comics. And everyone, I- struck- This book or a different one? This one. Okay. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just- have not been able to read in like a year so I'm only just not getting around Mm -hmm. to reading it but uh, but, you know I think that if anyone's intimidated by reading academic books about comics definitely check this out I Dr. Wanzo is very uh, very very smart but also um, it's a very easy book to read you know she doesn't get like she's a good writer so is it like really mired in a lot of um opaque academic nonsense it's very good like very clearly states that you know what the purpose of this book and and kind of you know chapter by chapter what we're going to be learning and what kind of material we're looking at Uh, so this is mainly looking at uh you know cartoon and comic art and caricature within those uh mediums and kind of trying to discern what is the visual grammar of citizenship in the United States as it relates to African-Americans. And so uh, she says in, in the introduction that comic art is a medium in which the use of caricature and other aesthetic techniques to stereotype bodies is essential to constructing meaning. So basically the way that people are portrayed in comic art is creating meaning um, about who those identities are and how we understand those identities. Uh, She says also caricatures work with the various other aspects of cartoon and comic art, such as the panel, the gutter, and closure to produce meaning in narrative sequence. So um, the actual formal elements of comics includes this visual grammar that she talks about. And if you've been listening to me on this podcast, you know that I love talking about big, complex ideas um, and how they apply to pop culture, which is actually something I learned from Dr. Wanzo. (laughs) And uh, she also says in the book, Rather than treat cartoon and comic art as obscure ephemera, this book invites readers to recognize the wide circulation of comic and cartoon art in contributing to a common language of national belonging and exclusion in the United States. 
So not only um, is she looking at the the formal way that these identities are portrayed using caricature and other, uh, you know, aesthetic techniques, which um, I talked about a moment ago, but then we're, it kind of telescopes out and looks at how they contribute to, you know, more abstractly to ideas of belonging and identity and all of that. So uh, like a really great example is um, just, uh, you know, for example, Superman is an alien, right? Um, And a lot of Superman stories are about Superman being kind of fundamentally different. But Superman is white. And that whiteness is really essential to people's understanding of Superman's identity and yeah. and like how he fits in to belonging um, and ideas of of uh, citizenship in the United States and and you know it really got me thinking about also like X Men for example and how they are supposed to be this um, grand metaphor for civil rights and and it's frustrating that we can only talk about these ideas using mainly white characters you know you know like um that uh you almost have to sneak these uh lessons in but by doing that you kind of reinforce the problem Mm -hmm. um in any case this the book goes into you know historical political cartoons and superhero comics alike. It's a really great book. Um, so that is my, I'm deep in that currently. That sounds really cool. Sounds really so good. It, sounds, gonna... it sounds like this could be, be a textbook type book though. Is this priced as a textbook or as a normal book? No, I think it was like, I don't know, less than $30. Perfect. Okay. Because sometimes I hear about cool books like this and then I find out that it's intended as a textbook and like put out by like Princeton University or something. And so it's like $70 for a thing. I'm like, oh. So, yeah. Okay. Um, it's New York University Press. I was able to get it in like a paperback. And oh, nice. I'm sure that it is used as a textbook um, by people, but it's also any, it's also just like a good nonfiction book about okay, comics. So, cool. yeah, there's a difference um, between like I feel is like used versus intended for and priced accordingly. Yeah. yeah. When I, I got it on Amazon, I'm just looking it up really quickly now. Um, the hardcover is very expensive. You can get it on Kindle for about fifteen bucks, and the paperback's twenty nine dollars. Oh, nice. So okay, cool. That is very accessible. Then it's cool that you had a professor who had a book out, and then the book actually ended up being really good. Because I've had professors that have books, and then they're not great. Um, but I'm glad <laughs> you read know. them anyway. <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad that you like this. I have had multiple professors do that where they like uh write their own book and then make you buy that book for their class and you're like this feels wrong (laughs) but yeah (laughs) I mean I understand why they do that I feel like um but this is this is genuinely a really good book and and like I said uh you know I think that the way that Dr. Wanda writes makes it accessible, uh, but you'll definitely feel you'll definitely feel smarter after you read this book for sure. And that's what I loved about her. Like we we studied Twilight in in the class I TA'd for her. It was great. Oh I had gosh. a I had a kid write a paper, a brilliant Freudian analysis of of like Jean Grey and Phoenix and all. Like it just was such a cool moment to be able to actually take pop culture seriously and get a lot out of it. That yeah, that sounds yeah, fantastic. That sounds like- I'm with Danny in the chat right now saying, "How do I take that class?" Like that does sound really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wonder if I I wonder if she would come on the show. Ooh, I should email her. Oh, yes, it happened. Tia and your connections. Oh. Yes, please. <laughs> I'll try to dig up the syllabus that I, from when I TA'd a million years ago. It was great. That does sound really cool. It rem- sounds um pretty similar to the book I read about like 
feminist comics and the kind of way in which feminist comics and zines shaped the early feminist movement. And now I'll have to dig back through Goodreads and find the title of it. But it was really interesting. But that one was one of those giant floppy oversized art books where you have to basically read it on the floor. You know, when they make it, it's like it's a two foot long spine. (laughs) And I'm like, thanks. Oh, gosh. (laughs) <laughs> my first like assignment as Dr. Wanzo's TA was to scan like her copies of women's comics mm-hmm. uh, so that the students could read them because they're so hard. To, I, and I think that Fanographics has since put out women's comics in hardcover. But at the time, it was like if you yeah. had copies, they were so hard to come by. And yeah, like it's not easy to find. Yeah. I mean, like it, the, the size made sense because of like scaling some of the they weren't high quality prints to begin with especially some of these zines and then if you scaled them down you'd never be able to read the comic um so it made sense it was just i just remember reading that like uh like the you know the kid pose up propped up on your elbows on your stomach like on the carpet (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, how about you kate what have you been reading (laughs) thank you um I really quick wanted to mention that there is a Discord book club on April 30th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and they are reading The Death of Doctor Strange. I keep wanting to get involved in this Discord book club because they've got great conversations, but it's always when I have D&D. So if you are interested, please jump on. Um, I read Heartstopper Volume 4 this week, and by this week, I mean last night at like midnight um, because I couldn't wait. The Netflix show came out on Friday and it covers volume one, and I read and I watched the entire thing that night. It was only about four hours of show, so I was just went from working in a chair to sitting in a different chair and watching television <laughs> um, until I went to bed. This is the first time I heard that the, they made a show of this, and I am so excited. Uh, I am going to check this out like tonight because I love this series too. I have not read volume four yet. I'm only through volume three, but oh. I'm very excited just to yeah. see like the casting and like is there good chemistry between the leads like oh exciting yeah I I think that they did a good job I mean like the the characters look a little bit different than they did in the comic book which is gonna happen because you know it's art versus real life but um so it was like a little bit of an adjustment for me and then I think that there was um you know like a range of time where it was like are these characters going to have chemistry but that range of time is when they were beginning to know each other so like by the time they actually start dating it's like yes yeah so this um this book is created by alec um alice oseman and i um i read volumes one through three in like two days um so this book is very (laughs) good um it it is about two high school boys falling in love and um, volume one is about them growing close and deciding to date. And then the rest of the series is them being in a relationship and like helping one another with their problems and learning about one another. And I just really like this series. I, I talked about it a, little, a few weeks ago on the show. And I just feel like so many series focus on will they won't they get together. But the series, they get together pretty immediately and then they're in the relationship. And like, that's what the story is about is the relationship as opposed to the courtship. (laughs) I feel like Um, you could for the back of the plot summary for like one through three, you could just put squee. And that's like basically a summary of the series. (laughs) It's like very cute and warm and fuzzy in a way that I have enjoyed reading. but it, they're such fast reads. Right. Yeah, I agree. I do have to say that after they're like, there there was some discussion of like one of them is getting bullied and one of them doesn't know how to come out to his parents. So there is like some real like real life issues happening as well. And volume four gets very real because one of them, it's like one of them has a eating disorder and this volume is exploring how the other one should be like helping them and there's a lot of research that goes into this like in the story and like trying to figure out what to do and react and help um and so (laughs) so warning for for eating disorders um it was occasionally difficult to read you know like i love these characters so much and i and i it hurts to see them going through something so hard um but on the other hand i feel like i learned something from this book where like if I encounter someone in that situation, how would I help, you know? Yeah. Um, and not having been in that situation, I think it was handled very well. Nice. I also wanted to really quick um, just 
mention that I read another manga. I've been reading a lot of manga. <laughs> this is my this is my babysitters club read, I think. Um, Beyond the Clouds Volume Two by Nick. This is a manga, but when I was trying to read more about this series and about this creator, I discovered that the Bond SNA crowd um, really like takes to this. A lot of the analysis or like um, d- descriptions that I found were in French, so I was like, "Hang on, is this a manga?" <laughs> And the series um, begins, volume one introduces a Tinker's Town where a winged girl crashes and she's taken in, she's taken in by a found family of like partially animal people. And there were a lot of like subplots and backstories and like character depth kind of hinted in volume one. So I was like, oh man, this is going to get big. Um, but then volume two kind of focuses in on one of those caretakers, Theo, finding ways to try to heal her from like her injuries that she sustained when she crashed and they end up setting off on an adventure together like leaving the tinker's village and going to this larger merchant city where there are like different um difficulties for them because this is like a totally different experience for them both being in this new large town um, and so far, the the story is still very whimsical and the characters are still very caring. And I really hope that it stays that way <laughs> because I want to keep reading it. Um, I really hope that it doesn't get like difficult for them. Like I hope that they encounter obstacles and then they overcome them as opposed to it like hindering their their story. I have not read that much manga, but I will say of the series I've read, they seem to be tonally consistent volume to volume. I've not seen a dramatic shift from like whimsical to like hard and gritty, you know? So yeah. I think you're probably safe. With the with the half animal people, that is a theme that I have noticed when stories are sexy and this is not a book that I want to have get sexy like you know so when I opened this this and I saw that artwork I was like oh boy yeah <laughs> I'm so be? jaded manga that I'm just like give it time yeah um all right so what are you guys uh excited for either um something that's being released soon or it can be something you've had for a little while um Tia how about if we start with you yes I have to friendly reminder everyone that bloodstained teeth is coming out this week this is the creator-owned book by christian ward and patrick reynolds you may be familiar with christian ward's art he uh did odyssey and uh it's just one of the most beautiful books ever i could talk forever about odyssey and um also, I think he's doing art on an upcoming Aquaman book that Ram V is writing, which is also going to be like spectacularly beautiful. I can already tell, but I'm super pumped to see two creators who are just very extremely talented and also genuinely cool people doing a creator-owned book that everyone is super hyped for. It's basically like about a vampire who uh, is not a good person and will accept money to turn you into a vampire. And I imagine that all sorts of uh, late-stage capitalist critique will occur in this book, um, but also cool vampire shit. And Patrick is amazing. He's done a lot of work for Dark Horse and just like such an incredibly talented artist. And I, I'm i just so excited for this book. So basically, what if Bella was actually just fundraising <laughs> through four books to like babysit, <laughs> raise enough money with after school jobs to pay Edward to become a vampire? Wouldn't it be awesome, though, if she actually paid this character and then showed up and was like, surprise, Edward. <laughs> Uh, yes, I would watch that remake. This sounds really cool. I want to check that out too. I was also looking at at this in the new releases uh, website that I check, but then I saw something else that I <laughs> that I've been more excited for. But I'll have to add this to my to read list. Um, Kate, what about you? I am excited for uh, YA OGN that I just picked up on a sale, and it's still on sale as of recording on the April twenty fourth here. Um, but it's Squad by Maggie to- Tokada Hall and art by Lisa Sterl. St- that's probably not how you pronounce that. But um, <laughs> this is uh, YAOGN from Green Willow Books, which it turns out is a HarperCollins imprint. I was like, I've never heard of these comic people before, but it turns out. Um, where a new girl is invited to join she like moves schools and she's invited to join the high school's most popular like girl clique uh 
kind of like mean girlsy, right? Uh, but finds out they're werewolves. And the description on the back says it's pretty little liars meets teen wolf in this fast paced sharply funny and patriarchy smashing graphic novel and then amazon's like do you want this for a dollar 99 and i'm like you know i do amazon <laughs> uh so this is where i'm at it is also tagged as lgbtq plus on goodreads so fingers crossed that's not like i hate when it's tagged like that and then it'll be like a one page like background scene or something like i hope this does turn out to also be queer um, this was a Goodreads Choice Award nominee for graphic novels and comics in 2021, but I completely missed it. This was not on my radar until it came across um, my email. On I get like a daily like best sales kind of email from Book Riot um, that is for both books and comics, and this was on there. And I was like, oh, that looks super cool. So I'm excited. Uh, this looks kind of Riverdale-y and kind of Mean Girls-y and kind of a lot of things that I think look a lot of fun. So I'm I'm just, have either of you read this? No, no but, but I just added awesome. it to my to read. Yeah. <laughs> it's still $1.99, Kate, if you want to get it on Amazon. Um, uh, now that Amazon Kindle is Comixology is what, you know, like that's all merged together. What are you into, looking forward to? I, I would like to mention that Danny is joining us on the Discord chat today. You can also d join us on Discord if you would like to tune in on Sundays, usually one o'clock. This week it was three o'clock. That might happen occasionally. Danny's pick is X-Men Knights of X number one. And normally, if Mike were hosting, he would probably have some more to say about this. But I don't know what this is other than an X-Men book. So I hope that it's great. <laughs> um, I, I can actually tell you a lot about it. There's, there's X-Men in it and they... They, like, fight other people with powers, I think. Um, and they do, do they also talk cry? about being X-Men. Yeah, yeah. They have a lot of emotions, um, and sometimes they talk about them. <laughs> and sometimes they just use their powers, like, instilly. Um, Does yeah, anyone Danny dress says we nailed it. Because... I knew it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the dressing slutty also feels like a really integral part of X-Men. <laughs> The full body spandex. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yep. Boop windows. Yep. All right. So it's to <laughs> change course a little bit. Um, I am excited for um, something probably less slutty. <laughs> I hope because it's a kids' book. Um, it's History Comics, The National Parks. This is by Fallon Koch, and it releases this Wednesday. This is from First Second, and they keep making books that I continue to like. Um, they, this is um, similar. I hope this is similar to the Makers Comics books that First Second also puts out. And that series is where you learn skills through like a story that's in the book, but then it's like about how to garden or how to bake or how to make cosplaying clothes. So my um, my theory is that this is going to be a another story um, with characters, but then you learn about the national parks. And I hope that that is, um, I hope that that's the case. And I hope that it's really good because I really like um, what First Second is doing. And then their nonfiction comics are like educational and also really good. And I think that I've actually seen this advertised before I saw it on the new releases list. So this has kind of been on my radar for a little while and now it's going to be out. Cool. Um, I'm also excited for um, a, a few books that I have had for a good six months that I am borrowing from a friend who I'm seeing next weekend. Um, and I haven't read these yet. <laughs> <laughs> As... As does happen usually only with the things that I own. Yep. <laughs> um, this is Sailor Moon Eternal Volumes 3 and 4 by Naoku Takuchi. And this is um, kind of like your Babysitter's Club series again, mm -hmm. Kate. It's something that I'm reading because it's um, it's nostalgic and it's it's an easy read. It's, it's also really uplifting to read this Eternals edition because the translation that I read that is from the 1990s was translated very, I don't want to say badly. I mean, they still translated it, yeah. you know, they could have just not done that, but they definitely made it um, censored and they, they reversed the art because it was manga. Yeah. And these, um, these editions are much more uh, true to the source material. Nice. I didn't realize that's what the Eternals editions were for. 
Yeah, and then uh, the friend that I'm borrowing these from, she actually has these really nice kind of like maybe eight and a half by 11 sized art versus the little like digest editions oh. that I have from the 1990s. So reading them, one, I can't really read them in bed because they are like a lap book, yeah. but at the same time, they are like, I can see more of the details in the art and it's easier to read, especially because my eyes are no longer 15 years old. I might need to check these out, see if my library has these because this sounds cool. I was... I think I tried a few pages of this. So I didn't do Sailor Moon as a kid, so I do not have nostalgia factor. So when I picked up and read a few pages of the 90s Sailor Moon when I was like, eh. Um, so maybe this is the the on-ramp that yeah. I've been looking for. Yeah. I I can't say that they're very different because it is the same story, um, but the translation is much better. Cool. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with our topic, which is a Goodreads Book of the Month tie-in about anthologies. This week, we're going to be talking about anthologies, and this is a Goodreads Book of the Month tie-in episode. Um, if you have any anthologies that you would like to discuss or suggest, please check out our Goodreads group and drop those in the chat for April. We do have a specific theme every month that changes. Um, recently, we have been taking a theme and having people suggest um, books that fit those themes, maybe telling us what they think of them, making recommendations and so on. It's a lot more uh, loose than it used to be where we had to focus on one book. But um, I don't know. I think that we've really gotten a lot more input. It seems like people are enjoying it quite a bit. So we are probably doing that going forward. Um, and that's pretty much what we ended up doing for this show as well is, uh, you know, talking about the anthologies that we have read or that we want to read. Um, and if somebody in the Goodreads group suggested those, at least I um, mentioned those people. So thank you for your suggestions if you uh, are part of that group. Um, I guess I, I'm excited to talk about something, so I'm just going to start. Perfect. <laughs> I, uh, this was a Goodreads suggestion by Tom. It's the Old Guard Tales Through Time. And I love the Old Guard books so much. Um, and for some reason, it took me years to even read the first one. And then I have read it like four times since then. So when this uh, mini series started coming out, this anthology series, it was immediately on my radar, except that I, I can't remember when it came out, but I wasn't really picking up singles. And I was like, as soon as this is out in trade, I'm going to read it. And it's been out in trade for a while and I haven't read it. So thank you so much to Tom for the reminder. Um, the original story was created by Greg, Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez. And this is a very star studded book of creators, um, an incredible just group of people, Kelly Sudakonic, Raphael Albuquerque, Matt Fraction, just to begin with. Um, there are a number of stories in, in this anthology, and they just add depth to Andy's relationship to Achilles, um, Nikki and Joe's relationship. They It really bulks that up. Like They're so happy in, in volume one. And it's like, do you guys ever argue? Well, this book will answer that for you. Um, and then it also had a number of stories about Booker, which is really interesting. Like he's kind of the only person that you only that you ever see like alone doing his own thing. Um, and of course, he's I don't know, he's a little bit uh, not that any of them are pacifists, but I feel like he is the least pacifist of all of them. Um, so you kind of get his um, a couple of stories from him. And this, this theme of purpose, like what is their purpose? Why are they immortal um, or effectively immortal? That comes up again, which is which is a common theme in the book. And it's addressed even more directly in the Net Netflix adaptation. So just like there was even some some commentary on how their lives like um, interact with with time and with um, generations. If you really pay attention to the art in this in the books. Um, and I don't know, I just really liked this is like a, a sub theme that they're concerned with. Um, and I did notice in the very first story, which I want to say was by the original creators, they actually dealt with violence really elegantly, like for being such a bloody book, you actually never saw the wounds. Like somebody gets a, 
a headshot. Um, and of course they live because it's this book, <laughs> right? but they cover the shot with, with their hand. So you see what happened, you know exactly what the wound was. Um, and you see a lot of blood, but you don't actually see any of the gore of the wound. And I was like, oh, this is really great. This is a good way to deal with this without um, the book being super gory. But then like, there are other creators dealt with that differently. So it is like some, some things you do see some bones or <laughs> it kind of varies. Um, but overall, I was really happy to spend more time with these creators. Um, well, these characters also. Um, so if you are a fan of the old guard, I highly recommend this. And if you're not a fan of the old guard, it's probably because you haven't read it. So <laughs> I was just thinking that I'm like, I should check actually check out. this out. I know the first volume of this series is on hoopla and I should just get it. Um, were there any since these were different creators and you had already like like you said read the original like four times did any of the art or writing not like ring true to you in the way that you know how sometimes people don't quite capture the character in the way that you've been kind of mentalizing them did any of these stories feel like not like old guard I would say they all felt like Old Guard, but there was a couple of stories where I wasn't quite sure who I was supposed to be looking at. Like, there was actually two stories where Andy's hair is very different, and if you compare those two stories together, her hair is the same in both of them, but the first one that I read, I was like, I don't know if, who this person <laughs> is, and then it's, like, clearly Andy as as you read her dialogue or see her actions or, like, how she interacts with the others, um, or the fact that she's just the only girl in the group until yeah. the most recent um, volume. So I worked it out, but that I think that that was the trickiest part was cool. was working out the art. I think that must be so difficult for. I mean, that comes up in comics constantly, right? Especially with all the like capes, these characters that have readers that have been reading them for twenty years, and now you're supposed to write the dialogue in a way and draw the art in a way that feels like that character, but it's also still your writing and your art. You know what I mean? That seems like one of the, would be one of the most challenging things as a creator to not have it feel to be different, but not so different that it doesn't ring true. If that makes sense. I feel right. like um, there's a way that, that you can kind of do that, that I, I don't want to say breaks the fourth wall. That's not quite the right phrase but it almost is like you're the audience is in on the on the bit i'm thinking of the wictive funnies um which was an uh, an issue that they did towards the end of the wictive run where they just kind of like invited it seemed like Kieran and, and Matt and Jamie just invited all their friends who they hadn't been able to invite to work on the book for whatever reason in the run to just kind of like contribute a short mm -hmm. and there was no pressure and it wasn't like this in universe and it was just kind of a like jam session with the characters and that I think is a really cool way that you can let people play with your toys basically <laughs> yeah I like that way of phrasing it too <laughs> I don't know if I read that one I swear I read all of Wiktiv was this like a separately released it, or was this part of the series? It was like, I'll have to find what issue it is. Um, it's part of it's it's not part of the series in the sense that like it doesn't push the story forward, but it's the characters and it's really funny and it has just kind of yeah it it really does feel like you're just like hanging out during a jam session. That's cool. I feel like I need to re reread the last few issues of that because every time I, I talk about Wiktub, I'm like, how did that end? <laughs> Insanely, but how specifically? <laughs> I don't know if I'm emotionally ready to reread it. Yeah, I have not. I own the all of the trade paperbacks, but I have not read the last two or three because by the time I got it, I realized that like I needed to reread everything before reading it because I did not remember anymore. And that is enough of an undertaking at that point in the series. It's like several trades to plow through that I just keep not having done it. Because if you own it, there's no time rush, whereas the things from the library are due. So you know how it goes. Yes. The first thing I read for this issue... Um, so I... First of all, I want to say I really like this new setup where instead of nominating books and all voting for one on the Goodreads and then all reading the same book, we just talk about different... The thread is just discussing different books that we've read or want to read um, in that theme. So like for this anthologies, 
um, because I learned like I tried so many different things from this and I have things on my TBR now that I didn't get in time from the library to read before this episode, but I really want to just a lot of cool stuff. And I like hearing about what like when we just nominate stuff, you don't really hear what people think about those books unless it gets picked. And so I really like that part of this new setup. Um, and I think that that has been exciting. But one of the things um, when going through that thread was Ed mentioned that Image is putting out an anthology maxi series that just started um, that's Image exclamation point as opposed to Image without an exclamation point. I love comic titling. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so number one um, is there, it's kind of so... As he said, and I quote, this is a standard model in Europe, but doesn't seem to ca have catch on in the U.S. Dark Horse tried it with Dark Horse Presents. And it definitely didn't catch on in with me because I have not read anything like this. I know um, people have compared it to like Shonen Jump, which is also a thing that I've not read. But I kind of expected it to be like a bunch of first issues of stories. And it definitely is not that. So... Um, this, this issue is like 60 some pages long. So it's longer than a normal floppy, but not as long as you'd think for as many stories are in it. So you really just get a few pages of most of the stories. Um, so you get the first chapters of two 12 part stories that will be in every single one of these 12 issues. Uh, the Blizzard by Jeff Johns and Andrea Moody and Red Stitches by B Brendan Fletcher and Babs Tarr. And then you get the opening installment of three three-parters that'll just be in three of these issues. Um, and then some like one-offs. There's because the, the whole thing is a combination of ongoing serials and standalone short stories. I will say for me, this read a lot more like a sampler issue that you know how some publishers will put out samplers where you get little bits of a bunch of stories that are starting that year. Like Image has done this. And it read very similar to that for me in a way that made me uncomfortable with the $6 price tag. Because usually those samplers are like free or a dollar where I didn't feel like I was getting a full first issue of like any of these stories. So it's like just little bits. I'm not positive how fair that is. I think we definitely got a, a decent number of pages for some of the more, the bigger, longer stories. But um I don't think I'm going to keep going with this. I might pick it up like when they finally collect the whole thing in a graphic novel kind of thing, but I didn't really have enough of any one story to get really into it to be like, oh boy, I'm going to go spend $6 next month on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do, does it tell you when something is from an ongoing series as opposed to a standalone for this for this series. Image's website talks about it. Like their description of the series and stuff tells you which things are which. I don't remember per se if the issue itself did. I mean, part of the not being that into it for me is that like I read this like a week ago and couldn't actually tell you what most of the stories were because it just wasn't memorable because you're not in it that long. Um, yeah. I, I really am interested the difference, how this compares to something like Shonen Jump, like my understanding of Shonen Jump is that you do get a foot, what is, would be a single floppy issue of the stories that are in it. Um, like a cha a full chapter of the manga, right? So you're getting a bunch of complete chapters versus like a couple pages. Yeah. I know my next question is like, are they going to collect these, these individual stories to release once they're done? Yeah. Well, and that's it's interesting. Well, I, I am curious to see how it does. That, me too, because collecting certain stories individually instead of like the whole maxi series together would be really interesting to me because they are very different. And so some of the stories just weren't things that I would typically pick up and I wasn't particularly into. And then other things were a lot cooler that I would totally pick up the trade of just that series, you know, uh, or just that story. So they got a lot of big name people working on this. Um, and I like it as an idea. And I especially like the idea of a shonen jump that's so inexpensive where i get a bunch of comic issues for what is it like three bucks um but i don't think we're ever going to see that not not with our model and i am okay with that because our people uh, don't need to be paid less yeah well this is the first time i've ever done a goodreads episode and i'll just be really honest it's because 
my brain refuses to do assignments. So if you mm-hmm. tell me I have to read a book, I'm like, no. It can be kind of book reporting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think that's where yeah. like you end up like not – because it feels like almost posting a review assignment, like write your little book report summary sometimes to like do discussion yeah. posts then. So I really liked this shift in the format and um, – not just because I had more freedom to choose the book that I wanted to read, but I also really like the sort of um, panel discussion, like seminar style conversation that it will generate in like in the thread. So I was reading through the thread and I was really surprised by how many people are just like, I don't like anthologies. Um, and we're just kind of like, wary of them or not really sure like how to get into them because I really love anthologies but I I kind of am thinking of it from a production standpoint I guess um, mm-hmm. anthologies have a ton of benefits from a creator perspective art is so expensive like I don't think people understand how expensive comic book art is and you can experiment with ideas so much more in three to five pages than you can in 25 pages and so um, if you're an artist doing an anthology, like you just have, a, I think it'll, it, there's a lot more freedom in, in a sense, because there's less that you have to, uh, literally produce at the same time. I think for writers, it's probably more of a challenge because it's very hard to do something good in a shorter page count. I know pa- writers are always wanting more page count, uh, but I think it's a good, healthy, challenge for them that and and can really help them hone their writing. I think another benefit is you get to collab with creators um, and that you might not usually get to work with, um, particularly when you're contributing to like a themed book um, like Femme Magnifique um, by Black Crown, um, which is I think an IDW imprint, is a really great example. Like you're going to find the coolest artist writer team ups in Femme Magnifique that you're not going to find on a, you know, 12 issue run of some Cape book because it's just expensive to produce, but you with it. And I imagine it's so much fun to be an editor and like, you know, get people together to make some cool little three page story. Also, if you are trying to break into comics, this is a great way to network, get your work out there, practice your skills, submit to anthologies. They're great for that purpose. Um, And then for readers, you know, you get to discover new creators. It's like a sampler. For example, I read The Silver Coin for this um, episode, and I love Mike Walsh. He is incredibly talented. He is a sweetheart. I would follow his art to the ends of the earth. And so I loved reading The Silver Coin because I love and trust Mike Walsh. And so um, I got to kind of check out all of these different writers that he's collaborating with and maybe I wouldn't have read something from them on a you know that was a bigger commitment but like Mike's vouching for them so I'll check it out in his anthology series also I think horror is uniquely like great for anthologies and short stories um also just as a reader if you are into challenging yourself as a reader uh, sh- short stories work a different part of your brain than yeah. reading a long form story. So it's like poetry versus a novel, right? It's just like a different way of thinking. And also anthologies can be super collectible, limited edition, especially if they're for an event or a fundraiser, uh, you know, so get on those Kickstarters. I feel like I need to embrace anthologies more. Like, I think I did see the the silver coin somewhere and I didn't pick it up because I was like, oh, this is an anthology and I'm and I'm looking for um, something that's not an anthology. But I couldn't really tell you why, because every time I do read an anthology, I, I mostly enjoy them. I mean, if there's something that I don't enjoy, there's a specific reason. I just I do like the the format of them, that it kind of bounces around a little bit. There's usually a theme, you know, um, and thinking of like thinking through it. One of the reasons that I read YA comics and manga is because they're such quick reads, which is exactly what an, an anthology gives you as well. Like you can just finish a couple of the stories and then stop and you're not really interrupting the middle of one large story. Totally. And I feel the same way about like 
like even printed prose books, I have like half a shelf of anthologies that I haven't read partially. Some of them were for college and some of them I've picked them up going, I should read more anthologies and then I haven't. That would give me the, the same experience that I'm looking for in in those quick read comics where I can just read um, for an hour or or whatever and then stop because I can, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not interrupting a flow. I think Hellboy Volume 3, The Chained Coffin and Others, is a perfect example of what you're talking about. Because, like, love Mike Mignola, love Hellboy. The Hel- Mignolaverse and, like, Hellboy as a character, the backstory, like, the, it's huge. Like, the, the co- in continuity, there's so much to read. But The Chained Coffin and Others is spectacular for how easily you could just pop in, read a story and, you know, you get Hellboy, you get everything that you want from a Hellboy story, but it's in a short story. I've actually read that one. I just looked it up. I I did like it. Danny makes an excellent point on the live chat right now that anthologies also have the bonus of being fantastic for taking to conventions because there's less carrying of books. Many creators can sign one book. This is genius. As someone who's hauled trades to a convention before to get signatures, uh, mind blown. This is so smart. (laughs) I definitely like your point, Tia, about sampling, like a low investment sampling of different um, authors and artists and stuff like that to... I think, um, I don't know if you guys have ever checked out the Best American Comics uh, anthologies that come out each year, but those have been really cool for that for me of like finding new people and new perspectives and new artists and stuff um, and reading stuff that I otherwise probably would not have picked up. Um, And those are like each year's is edited by someone different. So they also can have a kind of different feel to them. Um, But I did not actually read any of those for this episode just because they uh, were not immediately available to check out. So I um, I read uh, Killing and Dying by Adrian Tomine, which was interesting in that I did not realize until after finishing it that it was actually like a part of a series. Um, so this is the hardcover collection um, by drawing that drawn and cordially put out but originally this was a series called optic nerve and so this collects 12 through issues 12 through 14 but optic nerve is just a series of short stories they're not the same characters they're connected i think they're all in the same location basically like the same town but they're not um it's not like an ongoing series in that in the sense that it's like not an ongoing story but so this is Uh, six unique short stories not connected like they all read like literary fiction um just really really good really really interesting things that make you think a lot more about like why do people who love one another treat each other poorly and what does that look like and why do people put up with it and why do they leave like what are the just just really complex nuanced look at human relationships within a short a short story right it's just so concise and i love how like in the same way that the writing and pacing is really precise so is his line work like it's so emotive in a way that like feels like there's nothing extra on the page you know what i mean um so it wasn't until i went to log this on goodreads that i realized that this was 12 through 14 and i actually want to go back and start at the beginning um which also feels interesting just in the sense of like watching the artist progression right uh, when you go look back at the beginning like how was their writing not as good it polished yet how was the art you know that kind of thing but I definitely am interested in reading the rest at this point and like all of drawn and quarterlies this has the best hand feel of a hardcover book to read like just really nice paper really nice um, printing production just highly recommend I don't know that I've ever read anything by drawn and quarterly but I know that it's like a a big deal (laughs) or at least they produce a lot they put out really good stuff and they definitely i think are a more literary comics focused uh, publisher yeah do you have anything that you want to read that you didn't get to for this episode definitely i just from the goodreads thread got so many ideas so 
Pandu recommended the DC Comics Zero Year, which is like a 400 plus pages introduction from DC to various characters, uh, which sounds like fun, but also like a, like a real undertaking. <laughs> and so like um, throwing that on the TBR for like someday. Um, but then Paul mentioned Broken Frontier, which is an anthology about um, like new visions of breaking boundaries, exploring the unknown, you know, so on and so forth, um, kind of thinking about time travel and dystopia and stuff like that. And that sounds super up my alley. Um, but again, wasn't something that I just like had access to when I, a couple days ago when we did the swap. And then Moonshot sounds super cool. The indigenous comics collection that Lenny um, brought up and said she was going to read. Yeah, that one looks good for me, too. I, yeah, so last year we did an anthology month on Goodreads, and we picked the one one book, and I can't, I don't think it was this book, but one of the options was Trickster, which is a Native American mm-hmm. anthology about the creature of the trickster. I've had this book for years. I own a first printing of this book because I got it when I was going through my publishing program back in like 2012 maybe 2011 anyway so it's been over a decade and I haven't read this book yet (laughs) but it looks great it looks beautiful like the even even just like the trim size of it is almost square so it's like visually unique just sitting on the shelf and I have to read this (laughs) yeah I was thinking about like do I even own any anthology comics? And I, short of like really digging into my boxes and stuff, I'm pretty positive. The only anthology I own is um, Love is Love, the comic book anthology that was to benefit the survivors of the Orlando Pulse shooting. I really don't think I own any other ones. Um, but that was another one of those, like like Tio was mentioning, that they these come up as like a fundraisers oftentimes. Um yeah, I, I actually do own another anthology that I haven't read yet, and that's Pros and Cons. Um, would you like to tell <laughs> us about that book, Tia? <laughs> I, I think this is a wonderful book that everyone should buy. <laughs> it's a, it's a, an anthology of short comics and essays by people who are comic book pros in one way or another, whether they're creators, where maybe they work in PR, editors, things like that, um, and just sort of their experiences going to comic cons. I I bought this shortly after it came out, and I apologize deeply because I haven't read it yet. It is in a pile with like two or three dozen other books, um, but it needs to get to the top of the pile. <laughs> I, f- I feel like the essay that I wrote for it... Uh, it just feels like a relic from another life at this point uh, from the before times. Mm-hmm. My essay is uh, about how I I always wear very uncomfortable, impractical shoes at cons and how it helps me sort of feel like I'm cosplaying the best version of myself. Um, and, uh, you know, this is now going on two years of barely ever putting on like non sweatpants. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> barely putting on shoes for me. I put on a boot, a pair of boots the other day and wore them for about two hours, and now I have four blisters. Oh no! no. <laughs> I, I used every former ballerina trick in the book with with blisters and uncomfortable shoes at cons. Oh, I should do that. I was I also danced for I don't know my teenage years basically. Didn't even think about that. Get the ouch pouches. Yeah. Um, do you guys have anything else that you want to add about anthologies? I feel like it's been a really good discussion already. Yeah. I mean, we were talking a bit um, on the Discord like hangout last night about um, this Neil Gaiman collection that I read about where I like I read this and I was like, is this an anthology? I don't know. But I, I wanted to talk about it because it was actually my favorite of all the things I read for this episode where this is... Um, Okay, so it's the Neil Gaiman Library, Volume 1, where um, Dark Horse has put out basically these collected editions of what are independent graphic novels by Neil Gaiman. Um, So this includes four complete graphic novels in this one edition that weighs like roughly 10 pounds. 
So it includes a study in Emerald, murder mysteries, how to talk to girls at parties, and forbidden brides. And to me, it it didn't read like an anthology because they're so long, right? They're like, they are just OGNs, basically. But they are short stories. Like, they're shorter than a normal OGN, I guess. Um, all of the stories were originally written as pro short stories by Gaiman, and then each of these adaptation for the script the art and colors and letters are all different book to book so it's a cool conglomeration of like how all these different creators have come together and adapted these stories and where you take like the original story and idea from Gaiman um which I have read some of these in his books versus like the comics before reading the comic but how they all basically adapted these in pretty different ways with very, very different art styles. Um, and so it was cool. an anthology feel in that way. But other than that, like when I was sitting reading it, when I was reading one story for over an hour, that doesn't feel like an anthology reading experience to me. Do you know what I mean? But I think it it is one still, like in the, the sense that like it's a collection of stories, right? With... Uh, a kind of a unifying theme that they're all Neil Gaiman, but I really liked it. I got volume two out already because this is just a super convenient way to read all of these instead of having to like check out the individual books. Um, and I like the printing that they did in, in the dimensions it's bigger. So it shows off the art more. I keep trying different things by Neil Gaiman and I do, I mean, I have read things that I've really liked. Like I've read, um, the graveyard book multiple times in multiple different formats, um, comics and prose and, and audio, I think. Um, so he does have some stuff out that I really like, but I don't know a lot of it for some reason, it seems incomplete to me. Um, a lot of his work, like he, he gets really close to something that I would really enjoy. And then it just kind of falls a little bit short a lot. So I don't know, maybe, Maybe I'll have to try this Maybe, one. Maybe, yeah, I do think he has a very specific style of writing, both for his graphic, both for his short story collections and his novels that you're either like into or not. And so I'd never feel like, oh my gosh, you're wrong if you're not into it. Like, no, it's a very distinct style in the same way that like Monty Python is a very distinct style of comedy, right? I'm like, I, yeah. I get why people <laughs> like it, it, like you just might not be for you. Um, and I happen to really enjoy his stuff. Um, but yeah, they are weird and they all do have, that's one of the things that's more like feels more anthology is they're all definitely game and stories. You could not mistake them for anything else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've got a lot of his books in my to read list. I need to, to focus on a few of them and get them read. This, uh, this episode has been, uh, Kate needs to read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Same. I love Neil Gaiman movies, like movies based on Neil Gaiman books, but the only book Neil Gaiman book I've ever liked reading was Good Omens. So I think I really like Terry Pratchett. That might be it too. Yeah. <laughs> like I really like that one too. <laughs> um, that was, but I really like his other books as well. And I love his short story collections. So, but I also just kind of like weird fantasy is, is a general rule, like yeah. magical <laughs> realism, weird fantasy, weird, like kind mm -hmm. of distinct sci-fi, like people playing with form in sci-fi and fantasy. Um, and it's all slightly dark. Yeah, exactly. And I do have to say, like, I always need to be in the right, like, headspace or mood for it because uh, <laughs> it's, I don't know. I also love his reading voice. Like, I would, he's one of those audiobook narrators that I would just listen to him read the phone book. I think it's that very specific type of British accent that I'm just like, yes. That's true. I agree with that. They came out with a live, like, one of the, not live, um, the full cast recordings of, um, American Gods, and I was like, "Why? Like, <laughs> we already had a game and reading. <laughs> it's so unnecessary." Yeah. Did you watch the Good Omens show? I did, and I watched it so quickly that I don't remember watching. Oh my it. god, I loved it <laughs> so much. So funny. All right. Well, I feel like that's been a really good episode. Unless you guys have something else uh, you want to say, we have said it all. Awesome. Good job, us. <laughs> um, so next next week episode is Paul, Nick, and Kara for another commissioned episode from our pal and patron Cinco, all about comics created by musicians or comics that have dedicated soundtracks. That sounds like a great group to discuss that topic. Yeah. So I'm very excited about it. 
follow us on Goodreads. Tia is Portrait of Madam X. I am Kate Elfier, and the show is at IRCP Podcast. This episode first aired on Patreon, and it's possible because of our wonderful patrons. Join today for our exclusive series like the IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and more, and you can join that at patreon.com slash Podcast. If you haven't already, please rate and review our show. Uh, five stars is recommended on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts because we deserve it. You can also join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more. Plus, you can listen to our episodes live as we record every week. Check the link to our Discord in the show notes. Podcasts grow best when spread by word of mouth. That sounds dirty, but it really isn't. So why not tell your friends, family, and local comic shop about IRCB? (laughs) Spread the good news. Infinity Shred is the best. They do all of our music. Thank you to Xander, who is a very cool guy and a great DM, and he edits the show. Normally, Xander edits the show, but this week, I was the editor. Me, Mike. So thanks to me, okay? Thank you to, uh, if you chimed in on Discord, Danny, Stephanie, and Mike and Tom for a second there. Thank you uh, for listening to this entire episode. If you've made it this far, I hope that I hosted well for my first time. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you. 